Hello, I'm Philip. And I'm Phoebe. Welcome to Dad. And Daughter Do Death. Hello, Phoebe. Episode 29. Hello, Dad. Yes, 29. Wow. <laughs> yeah, uh, I gather a few people missed us when we had that one week's gap so we're we're very sorry <laughs> yeah sorry we've had a lot of people getting in touch saying they were pleased to have us back so good to hear thank you. you good to hear from you and I'm, I'm glad that you appreciate us being back so yeah. uh-huh. um, we'll we'll try not to do it again it, well can't make any promises <laughs> but uh, yeah I, I uh, I'm still thinking about last week's episode it's it's probably the one that's um, stayed with me longest so far Interesting. So uh, it was a good yeah. story, and yeah, it is. I don't feel perhaps I did it justice to be honest, because there's so many layers to it. There's so much information around it, and that that website that we've put on the uh, on our page. There's so much information there. Yeah, but uh, it was an introduction, at least, to the uh, Edith Thompson and Frederick Bywaters, and really, although the story was about them it was percy thompson really who was the victim mm, yeah uh, that's true but whether or not edith yeah. should have been dealt that particular level of justice yeah i'm uh, i'm not sure mm. at all uh, and i should have said as well well last week that there is a program which you can get on youtube uh, cool. where they revisit trials from olden days mm. and and is that it, um, is one my family they... murdering me or something like so that. yeah yeah I watched um, a lot of that when I was on maternity leave. They were oh, really okay. interesting. <laughs> right, okay. You may have already seen it and not remember it. Or... I don't think I did. <laughs> no, I, think, I feel like I'd remember that one. But there is one on Edith Thompson as to whether or not she would have been found guilty today if she had yeah. been uh, in court for that. So what have you been doing this week, Phoebe? I've been working very hard this week. <laughs> um, I've also been listening to a podcast that was recommended on a true crime podcast I'm on called Missing on 9-11. Um, and it's really interesting about this woman who goes missing. Well, the last known contact with her is the night before 9-11. So right. she lives right by the World Trade Center. But that kind of last known sighting of her is the night before. So the police say, well, she just clearly got caught up in 9-11. But her family say, no, she didn't. Something else happened to her. Um, And trying to work out what actually happened to her. So I'm only about halfway through it. But it's really interesting to see the difference of opinions because the police are like, well, she clearly did that. And they're like, yeah, but there's no evidence that that happened. There's no evidence that she went back to the apartment on the night of the 10th. So where was she? So yeah, it's a really interesting listen and a lot of talk around 9-11, obviously. Yeah, coming up to 20 years. Coming up to 20 years. And the um, there's a lot of kind of dispatch calls and stuff, which are always interesting to listen to. So yeah, I'd really recommend that. It's um, it's a good listen. What was it called again? Missing on 9-11. I bet quite a few people uh, perhaps used mm. it as an opportunity to disappear. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? It's not something that I'd ever really thought of before. Mm. But if you want to disappear, that's the way to do it, isn't it? You'd have to make a very quick decision. Yeah. <laughs> to do it. Yeah. <laughs> My God, here's a world-shattering catastrophe. Do I yeah. use that to... Uh... <laughs> I'm just going to slip away. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Um, another piece of news that kind of caught my attention today, actually, was about this British family of three and their dog who were found dead in Yosemite. But 
they were just dead. There was no okay. sort of kind of injury. There was no sort of um, evidence that someone had done something to them. They hadn't been like eaten. They hadn't been, they couldn't find in like carbon monoxide. They thought it was that initially. Literally, they were all just dead and the dog as well. Wow. Um, and they don't think it was a suicide thing, a murder-suicide thing. They, I, the latest thing I saw is that they thought it might be something to do with an algae bloom. Okay. that had like come up and killed them because that had happened before in water in Yosemite where dogs have gone like similar and they died yeah. um, and I think that it was something to do with that so um yeah wow. that caught my attention today interesting were they outdoors were they found outdoors yes yeah. they were like camping they're on a ca- camping trip uh, okay. in Yosemite and then they were just found dead okay. but no sort of like injury mm-hmm. or anything right. to them. maybe something will show up in toxicology yeah but i've said that but that will take yeah, weeks time, to come back so mm. yeah there's this whole idea about the missing 411 in the national parks and it's these groups of people that just disappear and then they either show up somewhere else like miles away from where they should have been um with these like horrific injuries or they just show up dead somewhere else where mm-hmm. they shouldn't have been which is a really interesting kind of phenomena and all about these like kind of feral people that might live in the national park. So I guess it raises questions around, has it got something to do with that? But I guess we'll see. So tonight I've actually got something a little bit different for oh, you. Maybe. So we're not going to actually be talking about murder tonight, okay. um, but we are going to be talking about some, let's say unusual deaths that have um, occurred that kind of, piqued my interest and I thought actually this might make a nice little break from talking about murderers Specific let's just talk cases, about some yeah. um, gory things and some death and so I've got, I've got three different stories to tell you um one of them I'm pretty sure you'll know about but there's a couple of things about that, that I didn't know so yeah but the other two I don't know if you know about the um the first one I'm going to tell you about is the Byford Dolphin accident have you heard about this not ringing any bells so far okay no. So the Byford Dolphin was a semi-submersible drilling rig, which was operated by Dolphin Drilling, um, which was a subsidiary of Fred Olsen Energy. It drilled seasonally for different companies in the UK and also Danish and Norwegian sectors of the North Sea. So it kind of like moved around that part of the North Sea. Okay. Drilling, um, I'm assuming, for gas, because that's oil, maybe? Gas for oil would be in the North Sea, yeah. And it had been there, uh, it, it, it was kind of launched in the, in the 70s and had been been used really regularly. On Saturday, the 5th of November, 1983, um, at four o'clock in the morning, whilst drilling in the Frigg gas field in the Norwegian sector of the North Sea, um, four divers were in the diving chamber system on the rig's deck, which was connected by a trunk to a kind of diving bell. And okay. that, and I'll, I'll show a picture of this so you can kind of visualize what it looks like. So, and that diving bell um, could be shut off and disconnected from it. So you could obviously dive in this big bell. The divers who were there um, on that day were Edwin Arthur Coward, who was British and he was 35, Roy P. Lucas, who was British and 38, um, Bjorn Giver Bergeson, who was Norwegian and he was 29. Yeah. And Truls Helvik, who was Norwegian and he was 34. Um, and there was also two dive tenders down there with them, William Crammond and Martin Saunders. 
Helvik was about to close the door between the chamber system and that trunk where the dive bell was attached to him. Yeah. When the chamber explosively decompressed from a pressure of nine atmospheres to one atmosphere. So I looked at what this actually means because I was like, I have no idea what that means. So an atmosphere is a measurement of pressure. Yeah. And one atmosphere is equivalent to kind of standard pressure at sea level. So we live in one atmosphere worth of pressure. That's what our bodies are attuned to. So nine times that is quite a lot of pressure. <laughs> um, and it's about the equivalent of being 100 metres underwater, which is a long way underwater. And I was thinking, you know, when we went um, scuba diving oh, yeah. <laughs> and we were, what, two, three metres underwater? No, it was, it, Five, I think it was, six? no, it was eight, I think. Okay, eight. <laughs> but thinking, you know, how, but how careful we had to be. It was like 25 um, feet you know, or something. Yeah, wasn't <laughs> yes. that far underwater, was it? But, you know, how careful we had to be kind of, decompressing at that level um to come back to the surface and when we were watching that um program I was talking about with um Dave not coming back oh yeah when he was kind of diving in that cave and how slowly they had to come back up from trying to get the bodies because of getting the bends and decompression sickness um if these things happen too quickly it can be devastating so for it to go from nine atmospheres to one instantly it was basically like the equivalent of a a bomb going off one like a balloon popping wouldn't it yeah so one of the kind of assistants um uh 32 year old william william crammond um, and all four of the divers were killed instantly Um, and one of them was severely injured but actually survived so just prior to this happening they were the chambers there was kind of three chambers and two of them were connected via a trunk to this diving bell and they think that what happened is that so they they kind of went in and they were resting at nine atmospheres and they had left their kind of wet equipment in there and then the normal process would have been to go in shut the diving bell door which would have been open to the trunk slightly increase the pressure in the diving bell to seal the bell door tightly yeah. close one of the chamber doors slowly depressurize the trunk until it reached the pressure of one atmosphere so they could get used to the atmosphere and then open the clamp to separate the diving bell from the chamber system i'm not sure whether they were kind of going down or coming back sounds like they'd have been coming back yeah that's what i think um, um if, if, yeah yeah so this first two steps they close the door and they'd slightly increase the pressure just to kind of seal it all but for an unknown reason, Crammond, which was the um, helper, opened the clamp that was keeping the trunk sealed before Helvik could close the door to the chamber. Um, and that resulted in the explosive decompression of the unsealed chamber system. So air rushed out of the chamber with such force, jamming the interior trunk door and pushing the bell away and then obviously killing them instantly. Wow. So they looked at the divers, um, obviously, after they recovered their bodies and they said then the most notable finding was the presence of large amounts of fat in their arteries and their veins and in their cardiac chambers as well as inside their organs and they think that what happened is basically the blood in those organs kind of expelled all their fat or turned into fat in uh, just because of the pressure of it and it suggested that the rapid bubble formation in the blood kind of killed all the like lipoproteins that break things down making them insoluble which caused them to be you know kind of saturated with fat essentially and the blood was 
basically boiled instantly. So mm-hmm. they kind of boiled the blood out, blood out of them, leaving the fat behind. Oh, wow. Um, so Coward, Lucas and Bergeson were exposed to the effects of the explosive decompression and died in the various chambers. But Helvick, because he was exposed to the highest pressure gradient um, and he was in the process of moving to secure the door, he was actually pushed through a crescent-shaped opening which measured 60 centimetres in length. So his whole body was pushed through a 60 centimetre length, like kind of wide gap. 60 centimetres like is about two feet, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, about that. But it was like a crescent shape. So it uh-huh. wasn't like a circle, which yeah. you know, he might have been all right, but it was kind of like a 60 centimetre long crescent. And that basically chopped him in half, which resulted in his body being pretty much fragmented. Um, and it it kind of caused the expulsion of all of his external organs in his chest cavity, except for his trachea and part of his small intestine. And they found some of it about 30 foot vertically above the exterior pressure door. So he'd literally just been kind of like blasted to pieces as he was like shoved through this tiny hole through lots of pressure. They investigated it and they concluded that it was caused by human error. Um, but also the trunk door had this kind of design that made it quite easy to get it wrong. So it was basically right. like a manhole cover hadn't quite been shut properly um, and it's kind of like slipped slightly. Um, and they're not sure whether the timing of things opening were due to kind of orders or their own initiative or because of miscommunication or because they were just knackered because they were working such long shifts all the time. And but they also said that it was because of it didn't have any fail safe hatches because of kind of when it was created so there was no escape method if something had gone wrong but the family Mm. of the Mm. of the people who died um, mounted a lawsuit against the company and said that they thought that it was something to do with kind of the negligence of the company and actually after 26 years they received some compensation um, for damages from the Norwegian government oh gosh so that is the story of the Byford dolphin accident. There are some photos. <laughs> probably not going to put them on Instagram because they're pretty gruesome. Okay. But, you know, feel free to, to Google it. They're, they're there. They're quite easy to find. But, yeah, if, you, if you decompress it, you'd want to stay in a Did chamber. Did you see that, that photo? So that's kind of what they managed to um, gather back of him, basically. That's the guy who was, like, pulled through pulled the through present. The... Right. Were the others relatively in? Tact then yeah i think so i think it was more just a case that the pressure just and the kind of explosion of it just caused their body to do boil their bodies essentially but i think it's just because and like because they were slightly further away from it because he was kind of so close to this crescent he just got sucked through it which caused his body to be mangled in the way that it was very nasty yeah Mm. you'd want to um you'd want to decompress quite slowly if you've been deep yeah (laughs) And yeah, if you've got that kind of pressure around you. So yeah, yeah, for it to happen, you know, instantly is um, not ideal. Well, yeah, mm-hmm. that it definitely is a, a, a gruesome way to go. And uh, yes, yeah. if you do look at the pictures, I think yeah. you'd agree. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so the next story is very recent. In fact, it happened in May. So Oh, wow. Three months ago. In Santa Coloma de Gramenet in Catalonia, in that part of Spain. Uh, there is a giant papier-mâché stegosaurus. The statue was installed as part of a series of advertising sculptures set in the plaza 
of apartment buildings to draw people to a cinema which has now been shut but there's like a new complex and they kind of had all these really fancy shops and buildings and the cinema and restaurants and things like that and they built all these I say papier-mâché but I think they're kind of like fiberglass papier-mâché sort of (laughs) thing so they're not like paper (laughs) papier-mâché the stegosaurus was the last of these three papier-mâché sculptures standing so they've all kind of just been a bit trashed over time and the stegosaurus was in on left so on the 22nd of may this year a father and son went to take some photos with the dinosaur because you know who wouldn't want to take a photo with a giant stegosaurus when they noticed a really funny smell coming from the figure when they got closer and they looked through a crack in its leg they could see there was a dead body wedged inside it Ooh. So when they opened up the Stegosaurus, um, they found... The dad and the son? No, so so, so they called the police, (laughs) obviously. Um, And then when the police came and they opened up the Stegosaurus, they found a man in there who'd been reported missing by his family just hours earlier. So they'd not been able to get in touch with him for a couple of days and he'd been missing. And then that morning, someone from his family had, had finally got in touch with the police and said, look, we're concerned about his well-being so parts of this statue because they were quite old had opened up to kind of reveal the metal frames that looked a bit kind of like hybridy and they think that what happened is this guy took out his phone to take some photos kind of of where this dinosaur was falling away and he accidentally dropped it through one of the openings and so he tried to go in to retrieve it but he toppled in upside down and hit his head, leaving him trapped in the leg and unable to call for help. And I think that he just died in there. They weren't sure how long he'd been in there, but I think it was a few days before he was found. And apparently it had also been used or been known to be used by homeless people to be slept in there um, because it was like a kind of shelter. But they they obviously, they removed his body and they have now taken the statue down. Probably best by the sounds of things. Hmm. Yeah. That's that very one. bizarre, sure. isn't it? In that one, weird, isn't it? Like essentially being killed by a dinosaur. Well, yeah, I suppose if dinosaurs had never existed, then no one would have made a model of it. Yeah, uh, and therefore it wouldn't have been there. No, that's very yeah, yeah. very good way to look at Two it. Then caused the accident, but uh, sounds like it must have been a bit old and ropey. Yeah, this also, there's some photos, there's loads, loads of photos of it. Um, but I, I think they kind of patched it back up and left it there for a little bit before they decided to remove it because you can see that like the back leg kind of patched up okay. with some flowers around it. Um, and then I think they decided to remove it after realizing that maybe it wasn't safe. In the best of um, taste. No. Yeah, or obviously that someone had died in it. So, but yeah, they, I think it was definitely patched up and left there for a bit initially. So Ooh. we'll share some photos of the dinosaur. So, the last story um, is about the Soyuz 11 craft. And I'm assuming you probably know about this. I might know about this one. Okay. So on the 7th of June, 1971, the only crewed mission to board the first space station, Salyut 10, arrived and docked. Um, the crew consisted of Georgi Dobrovolsky, Vladislav Volkov and Viktor Patsayev. And they were actually the backup crew for the mission, as one of the members of the prime crew was diagnosed with suspected TB. So they said that the whole of the prime crew couldn't go, and they had to send the backup crew. Um, And this meant that it was the first mission into space for Dubrovsky and Patasayev. 
when they got to the station, they said that it was um, kind of smoky and a bit of a burnt atmosphere, but um, they replaced part of the ventilation system and they spent the next day kind of back on their craft until the air had cleared and then it was fine. Their stay in the Salyut was productive. They did some live television broadcasts. Um, a fire actually broke out on day 11 of their stay, causing mission planners to consider just abandoning it. But they sorted it out. And the planned highlight of the mission was to have been the observation of a rocket launch, but then that launch was postponed. Um, right. And they also found out that there was like an exercise treadmill that they had to use, but they had to stop using it because it caused the whole station to vibrate, which made it a bit <laughs> unstable. So it was a okay. successful mission. They got done what they needed to get done, but there was also, you know, a few teething problems, but they were the first people to go up there. There was a mission that was supposed to go up before, but it didn't make it. It wasn't able to dock. So they were the first people that had gone up to that kind of first yeah. space station. So on the 29th of June, 1971, so what, they'd been there three weeks or so, um, mm-hmm. the three cosmonauts loaded their specimens that they'd collected, films, tapes, and other gear that they needed to bring back, back onto Soyuz 11. And they transferred that manual control back from the space station to Soyuz 11, which is quite a routine thing to do, isn't it? And they returned to their ferry craft. So they started undocking at about half past six in the evening. And then Soyuz 11 kind of flew in orbit for a little bit. Um, well, actually for four hours until mm-hmm. it retrofired at half past 10 in preparation for re-entry. Yep. And then prior to re-entry, both the work compartment and the service module were routinely jettisoned or, you know, kind of dropped off like they do. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that you know what that means, but other people might not know what that means. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know, I know what it means. <laughs> yeah, I think the Soyuz um, is in three parts, isn't it, I think? Yeah, so they'd dropped... Yeah two parts and just had that kind of re-entry module and that happened about quarter to 11 so four and a half hours after they'd left the um salute the salute and then um it was about then when radio communications just stopped when the work compartment separated um which is well before when they would usually kind of expect to stop hearing from them so about 25 minutes later Soyuz 11's automatic systems landed the craft safely at quarter past 11, just north of Karazal in Kazakhstan, after apparently a normal return to Earth. And the total flight duration had been 570 hours and had involved 383 orbits. When the recovery team opened the capsule of the Soyuz 11, they found that the whole crew were dead. The chair of the state commission said outwardly there was no damage whatsoever. They knocked on the side, but there was no response from within. On opening the hatch, they found all three men in their couches, motionless, with dark blue patches on their faces and trails of blood from their noses and ears. They removed them from the descent module. Dobrovolsky was still warm. The doctors gave artificial respiration based on their reports. The cause of death was suffocation. So it quickly became apparent that they'd asphyxiated and the fault was traced to a breathing ventilation valve, which was located between the orbital model and the descent module that had been jolted open as the descent module had separated earlier on. And these kind of modules were held together by these bolts that were designed to kind of fire in sequence, but they'd been at the same time. Oh, um, okay causing and the kind of simultaneous firing of it had caused another a seal to loosen and whilst that was usually kind of help the cabin pressure adjust automatically 
it didn't. The valve opened at an altitude of 168 kilometers and that kind of resultant loss of pressure again was fatal within seconds. Yeah. Um, so yeah, within 15 minutes after that kind of retrofire when they started moving back to earth the cabin pressure was zero um and it and it made that and it stayed that way until they came back into the atmosphere and they actually found Papsayev's body right by the valve and so they think that he was trying to kind of close it or block it um okay. at the time that he lost consciousness because they'd obviously realized that something was going wrong and they reckoned that it um it was an accident basically and um, yeah. they said that they, there was all sorts of things that could have caused it um, but they, it, it was an accident. They said that the kind of proper cause of death was hemorrhaging of blood vessels in the in the brain, um, and bleeding under the skin, inner ear, and nasal cavity, which had caused, which had been caused because of that kind of vacuum environment that they'd been put into. Mm-hmm. And their blood was found to contain heavy concentrations of lactic acid, um, which is a sign of extreme physiological stress. So obviously that kind of stress that that decompression essentially had put them under, had had put them under this massive stress. Um, And they think that they could have remained conscious for about 40 seconds after this decompression, but less than 20 seconds would have passed before the effects of oxygen starvation made it impossible for them to function. So if he was trying to kind of block up that valve, he was doing it really quickly (laughs) he obviously acted really quickly and noticed something was wrong so the soviet state tried to kind of play it down and say that no nothing happened it was fine it was just an accident and it just talked a lot about the accomplishments and they didn't actually announce the exact cause of their death for about two years um which meant that the, the united states were really worried about their upcoming skylab program as they couldn't be certain whether it was actually the prolonged time in space because this was one of the longest chunks of time yeah. that people had had in space so they were worried actually was it the fact that mm-hmm. they'd been up there for so long they'd come back to earth and then died because of the change but it wasn't that so when they kind of finally really realized what it was they were kind of relieved that it wasn't going to be the fact right. that they had um spent too long in yeah. space they had they were given a, a large state funeral and they were buried in the Kremlin Wall Necropolis in Moscow, not far from the remains of Yuri Gagarin, okay. um, the famous uh, Russian cosmonaut. And the Soyuz was extensively redesigned after this to carry only two people at a time. Um, and it meant that they could wear this different spacesuit during their takeoff and landing. So it meant that the suit would kind of yeah. repressurize them if something well, yeah. went wrong. Keep them alive, basically, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but I think the really interesting thing with this case is um, these three men are the only three people to have died in space, like actually in space. Everyone else who's kind of died in in things relating to rockets, they've kind of been in the atmosphere. They haven't been in space yet. So these three men are the only three people recorded to have died in space. Okay. Yeah, the three Americans that were killed in Apollo 1, they were on the launch pad. They were just doing a rehearsal. They weren't even going anywhere. It was just a a practice mm. and then there was a fire right in the capsule which uh killed the three of them so yeah they went in space and then you've got the two shuttle disasters yeah uh one was on its way up and one was on its way down and i, I suppose you're right yeah they yeah they would have still been in in the atmosphere i guess yeah well that's what ripped the second one apart wasn't it yeah wow interesting and and the, the first and th- that story there, the first story and that story there, are both um, perhaps examples of where other 
later generations have benefited from the yeah can't really say benefited from those accidents but it's lessons were learned so things were adapted accordingly so that they could you know change the way that they did things in the future to make things safer for people in the future which is arguably how we evolve as a species isn't it like so much of what we do now is learning from mistakes because we've learned from mistakes or we've learned from the past haven't we and you know our healthcare system is based on you know we've learned that you know letting all the blood out of somebody maybe isn't the best way to cure a cold so let's try something else like (laughs) (laughs) yeah but like with that that diving bell yeah i I guess that the the principles were sound it's just that the engineering was perhaps Mm. a little lacking and now they've developed better systems to make sure that that sort of accident can't happen again and and with the, as you say, with the Soyuz thing, they probably know how to do it, do it yeah. better. I mean, that was 50, 50 years ago now. Yeah, it? yeah. Was, you know, fairly early on in the days of spaceflight. And I, as you probably know, one of my other favourite programmes is Air Crash Investigation. Yes. <laughs> um, it's fascinating for a number of reasons, really, mainly because of the, uh, you learn a lot about the way that planes work. Okay. <laughs> by them not working yeah <laughs> um but again you know they learn from every single one of those accidents and what caused it and so often they'll say uh, there's not just one thing that causes a plane crash is it's caused by a sequence of things that happened that yeah. all happened to come together at the wrong time and anyone on their own wouldn't have been a problem but um, mm. But again, they learn from that and um, improve procedures, improve engineering, which makes uh, travel as safe as it is today, really. I mean, it's not entirely yeah. safe. It, nothing ever is, is it? But no. um, it's probably safer today than it has been in the past, but yeah. maybe not as safe as it could be in the future. Yeah, I guess we're just waiting for the next accident to happen for them to uh, uh, learn anything from anything flying it. at the moment. So no, it's yeah, yeah. <laughs> picking up a bit. But, it's probably uh, statistically very safe at the moment to fly. Uh, yeah. Okay. So there you go. Something a bit different. Um, just thought it would be interesting to talk around some... Yeah. Different sorts different of Different stories. Different sorts of death. <laughs> yes. Thank you. There you go. I'm sure yeah. we'll be back to murder next week. <laughs> <laughs> and there's um, a really interesting read if you've got some time and if you just type unusual deaths into wikipedia (laughs) Mm -hmm. there is so many of them i mean there's hundreds and hundreds of them that are just unbelievable one that really stuck in my head was around um this one at a baby shower in america and to kind of make it like insta worthy they'd used um like a steel umbrella stand and um, they put gunpowder inside it with like the colour of the gender revealing it. So they lit it <laughs> for sp- kind of the coloured sparks to come out. Um, but it turned into a pipe bomb um, and it exploded and hit a lady in the head and she died instantly. Wow. Yeah. So yeah, do lots that. of, no, <laughs> lots of things like that. Really short, concise little, this yeah. is a crazy thing that happened. Um, and yeah, I kind of pulled these off and, and padded them out a little bit because I thought that they were... Yeah, the uh, diving one and the spaceship one, definitely right up my alley. The diving one, I think that was just very unfortunate. Really unfortunate, but like how crazy that he was just found dead in a dinosaur. I know. So will you be putting some pictures up? Yes, I'll put some pictures. I won't put the really kind of graphic pictures up because, 
yeah, they're a bit much, but um, feel free to Google them. They are there. They are very readily available on Google. But yep, I'll pop some photos up of the bits and pieces that we've talked about tonight. Thank you. Where would you put them? I will put them on our Instagram and you can find us at... Dad and Daughter Do Death. And it will be on our Facebook. Dad and Daughter Do Death. And if you want to get in touch about any of these, you can message us on Instagram or Facebook, or you can drop us an email at... Dad and Daughter Do Death at gmail.com. And if you've enjoyed this episode or any of our previous episodes, please rate us, drop us some stars, some comments... Yeah, it'd be good to uh, to have your feedback. Yes. Um, thank you very much for listening to us. Thank you for sticking with us when we had our little break. <laughs> yes, thanks for listening to us and join us again next time. But once again, Dad. And daughter, do death.